Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Every Plate, Molecule, Nebia, and Start Mail. And don't forget, if you'd like to get an ad-free episode, you can support the show at patreon.com slash appleinsider. Joining me this week, my friend Neil Hughes. How's it going, Neil? Doing okay. How about you, Stephen? Doing well. William could not join us. I know many listeners uh, love to hear William's antics on the show, but he'll be back soon. So worry not to listeners. So first of all, I just want to get this out of the way up front. Neil, Apple is printing money over there in Cupertino. <laughs> they had their quarter two earnings this past week, and they have taken $89.6 billion in revenue. That is a 54% year-over-year growth. There's a bunch of numbers and interesting facts. I'll put the articles in show notes so you can read exactly what Apple earned and where. The two most interesting pieces of information I thought, obviously iPhone kills it everywhere. The services saw a big increase, but the Mac... Last year, this time, it was at $5.3 billion revenue, and it almost doubled right. to $9.1 billion. This is the March quarter, so it's got to be those M1s are really, I think, doing well. And then the other interesting part was that Apple announced that they have 660 million paid subscriptions. And I don't really break that out. I mean, I guess, you know, one it just might be Apple Music, one might be the Apple One Services Bundle, but their push for services revenue is really doing well. Yeah, and the interesting thing is services were up, but compared to everything else, they were actually the the quote-unquote disappointment, I guess, of the quarter, only right. up 25% or whatever it was, right? Right. Uh, you know, the real blowouts this quarter, I mean, it's kind of funny. We take the iPhone for granted because it's always a blowout, and, and yet again, here it was. But the, the big surprises were, as you said, the Mac, but also the iPad. Yeah. Um, and you got to remember that, you know, these numbers came before uh, the announcement of the new iMac, before the new iPad Pros. I mean, Apple's just cleaning up right now with people working right. from home and, and people uh, and, and children doing school from home and all that. Uh, but yeah, the, the iPad and Mac numbers were absolutely outstanding, and it's a real testament to the power of Apple moving away from Intel and the buzz that they've gotten from putting out their own chip because you can tell that people are responding to it. You can tell that, that this is going to be a very big deal, and it's going to be a huge wave in the months and years to come for the Mac. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about their launch strategy for these M1s, I mean, it's amazing. They have an incredible quarter right now for Macs. Jason Snell actually tweeted, this is a record setting. This is the best quarter of all time in revenue for the Mac, up 70%. It beat the record set two quarters ago. So just amazing. And then if they dribble out these M1 Macs, you know, you got the iMac M1 coming out this month in May, and then who knows, whatever the high-end Mac's coming soon. I mean, they could really ride this Mac revenue line up for the next year or two. So Apple knows how to do strategy. I mean, Tim Cook's an operations guy, so. Well, you know, I'll give you a preview here because I'm going to be writing an editorial in the next few days about there's always the naysayers of Tim Cook, which is hilarious. He can't innovate. He, he, <laughs> he can't do this. He's just all about revenue or all that. Well, here they are innovating. They, they've moved all their products over to a single chip architecture. Right. Um, he's released AirPods, the Apple Watch, new product segments that are hugely successful. The entire migration of the Mac over to Apple Silicon. I mean, like you think about the things that have been done under Tim Cook's tenure oh, yeah. and the fact that they're making more money than ever. He's taking big and bold risks 
and he's succeeding, and they're making more money than ever, and they're in an a, a, a environmentally conscious, socially conscious company. Uh, they are, you know, right. employees are happy, shareholders are happy, consumers are happy. It's just like, you know, anybody who has any issues with Tim Cook at this point needs to get their head checked because it's it's insane. Like <laughs> the things that this guy has been able to accomplish are beyond the wildest dreams of anybody. And people who think that he's not the right fit for CEO are, are, are absolutely wrong. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of people have been commenting on colors coming back to the iMac. And that might not sound like a big deal, but there were many years in between basically now and back when the Emacs and those colored Macs were coming, you know, we really didn't have like colors or I don't know, fun is a better word, but yeah, no fun is the perfect word. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. That's the word that it should be fun. These products are fun. You want to interact with them. You want to use them. People like that. And yeah. I mean, we could all use a little bit of fun in our lives right now. Let's get real. Like, you know, yeah, for these sure. launching right now are the right product for the right time. I would love to buy one of these new iMacs. I just, I, I need, you know, I, I need target display mode if I'm going to use it. Otherwise it's not really for me. Uh, so I'm waiting for them. I'm hoping that when they do the 24 inch uh, display that they're inevitably going to do with the same display that they're using on the iMac that they do it in colors. Cause I would love to buy a colorful monitor. I think that they're great. And I think that more colors across all the products will be a good thing. Absolutely. And you know, I've been trying to branch into more colorful. I usually go space gray or black on everything, no colors, but this is, this is a small step, Neil, but I got a pistachio green Apple Watch band. It's pretty nice. I'm I'm down with the colors for this. I, I, I saw you tweeted that. It looked the color looked pretty good. It yeah. does look pretty good. So you know, branched in there. But you know, that fun aspect is something that Apple really captured early on. You know, when other computer makers were yep. were definitely not fun. And so to bring that back, I listened to an interview on the Upgrade podcast with Mike Hurley and Jason Snell. They had actually two Apple employees, I think, in the product marketing, talking about the iMac colors and all that kind of stuff. And it's in a crazy amount of skews for the new iMac because you have multiple models, one with two USB-C Thunderbolt ports, one with four. You have the seven different colors, plus you have all the magic keyboards, the magic mice, the power cables, like all of those are color matched. It's a ton of operational products basically that they have to keep track of and produce all these different colors, keep them in stock in the stores. But they obviously feel like it's worth it to be able to have that kind of playful product again and, you know, add that back to Apple. I hope they knock it out of the park because, I mean, you look at some other stuff in the PC industry. I, I think of the gaming space. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the stuff that you see there with, like, you know, these, like, everything has to light up and, like, you know, it has, like, skulls on it and stuff oh, like yeah. that. You know, it's very oh, much yeah. <laughs> targeted for, like, this, like, young, aggressive male demographic. I love that Apple is the antithesis of that, and I love that it's fun. Yeah. Because even that gaming stuff, you know, it's fun in its own way, right? Like, everything in, inside, you know, your RAM needs to light up in your desktop or some some crap like that. Why the <laughs> I don't know why they do that. The fans. Yeah, and yeah. like people like will be like, I'm not buying it. It doesn't have LED lights. Whoa. I'm the guy who puts tape over all the LED lights, okay? I don't want LED yes. lights on anything. Right. I don't need that stuff. I don't want it. I don't have time for it. But having a colorful device that is a nice centerpiece of your office or your home yeah. or something that you hold in your hand, I think that's great. And and I, I wish that the colors were on the new iPad too. For sure. Well, so talking about the iPad and the iMac, as you listen to this, if you listen to it on release date, pre-orders are now open. For the new M1 iPad Pro, the new M1 iMac that we were just talking about, and the Apple TV 4K. And some other details have come out about these products that we'll get to in a minute. 
But Neil, I'm curious, what, if anything, did you buy on the morning of pre-orders? So I am picking up uh, AirTag tomorrow. I have to say singular, but four AirTag tomorrow. <laughs> I think you could say tags when it's four, because Apple... I don't know. They, they, Apple is very serious about making it singular, so I'm trying to follow it in their style. Yeah. Um, AirTag units. How about that? AirTag. <laughs> AirTag sure. Uh, what do you call them? Discs? Pucks? Whatever. AirTag. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. I'm getting a four-pack tomorrow, and I'm, I'm actually flying to Florida next week. Oh. First time, I'm, I'm, uh, now that I'm fully vaccinated, I'm going to take a, a trip to go see my family, so I'm excited to test them out um, on an airplane. I'm going to have a checked bag. I'm going to put an AirTag in there, um, see how it all works, see if I can, you know, see when it's coming around the carousel. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so I'll have a I'll have a feature on that in a few weeks when I travel and what it's like to travel with an AirTag. So I'm getting that, and I'm getting the Apple TV 4K, the new model with the A12 mm-hmm. Bionic chip. I, I was 99.9999% sure the last time you and I spoke that I was going to get one of the new iPads, mm-hmm. and I'm not getting one of the new iPads. I, I can't do it. Okay, and we're going to talk about why in a second because I know you you were you were pretty upset on Twitter when this news came out, but yeah. I will say I'm getting the new Apple TV 4K. K new Siri remote. I'm going to wait on the iMac. You know, I have an M1 MacBook Pro. Like you, I'm waiting to see where that second generation of M chips, M1X, M2, whatever it is, yep. when that comes to the iMac, maybe larger screen and the more powerful MacBook Pro models. But I am definitely buying hard that new M1 iPad Pro, the 12.9 inch. I am coming from the 11 inch, so I was going to have to buy a new Magic Keyboard anyway, which we'll talk about the Magic Keyboard in a second. Yep. But I'm going to get that one terabyte so I get the 16 gigs of RAM, the 12.9 inch so I have the the liquid Retina XDR display. That is a name. <sighs> it's a mouthful. That is a name. It's better than it's better than ProMotion. We'll, we'll say that. ProMotion is yeah. It's a terrible name. Cuz what is the the XDR is the Pro Display XDR and then the iPad now is the liquid Retina XDR. What do you think XDR stands for? Uh, well, you know, they talked about when the XDR was launched, the display, they were like it it's HDR. But like way better at HDR. But extreme. Extreme HDR. So I guess it's that. You'd almost think it's a gaming PC. It's going to it's gonna have a bunch of LED lights on it. You would think. But I guess the difference is they... Extreme. Extreme. They use liquid retina for like handheld devices because I don't think liquid retina has ever been in a Mac. It's either the Pro Display XDR. They have retina displays on the Macs like MacBook Pro. And when it comes to the mobile devices like iPad and iPhone, you have a liquid retina or just retina. I don't know. I, I feel like it's a little little too much naming. I don't really care about the branding. The screens are gorgeous. It's all the screen's going to be amazing. The screen's going to be amazing. So I'm very excited to try it out. And again, I should have some AirTag... Air, Air, AirTag oh. pucks. I'll have some uh, AirTag quantities coming to my house delivering. I got a pack of four and I got one engraved. I wasn't sure if that was going to be delayed. But turns out it's all going to come the same day. And there were some reviews out of the AirTag units. Oh, this is miserable. <laughs> the AirTag <laughs> units. Uh, you know, MKBHD had a review. The Verge, iJustine, they all had reviews. And so I'll put a couple of those YouTube links in the show notes. Watching the reviews, it's really compelling, especially using that precise location tracking. So if you're within, MKBHD said it was like 50 feet was the maximum. But if you're within that 50-foot range of the AirTag, on your iPhone, if it has an ultra-wideband chip, which is iPhone 11 or iPhone 12, that it will have that arrow pop up on the screen and point in the direction of the AirTag. And that just looks sweet. I mean, especially if it's just in your house. Yeah, it's really cool. A lot of times, it's not like the things are far away that you have lost. It's either in the house or in your place of work, and you just can't remember, you know, did you leave them on your desk? Did you put them in a drawer? And so having that arrow pop up, and then the sound also, it's incredible that these little 
discs like pog things can actually make a sound you don't even see the speaker holes on it right but that it can make it sound and that you get that ultra wideband location tracking i'm pretty excited about this yeah i'm excited about them too i I am slightly disappointed by by one thing and i'm hoping that it changes and it's the security features of it i understand why apple did it you don't want to be able to stick an air tag on somebody else's car and track it but for my hyper specific use case which again this is something that applies to very few people but myself being one of them so i used to use you remember automatic the um yeah i had one in my car yeah so i had one as well yeah and one of the things that i use it for is i live in brooklyn and i have to park on the street and so i don't park in the same place every time i have to find parking wherever I can. And I share a car with my wife and we have to find the car. And so sometimes if I need to go get it and she's the one who parked it, then I got to ask her, where was it? And she'd be like, oh, it's on this street. This lets me know where the car is at all times. And it just makes it easier when you're parking. So one of my thoughts was I would love to put an air tag in my car. The problem is I drive it once every maybe three, four days at most. Right. And apparently with the air tag, Mm -hmm. if it hasn't been within range of your phone within three days, it starts beeping and sending off an alarm so that you don't track somebody, which I get it. Like, I totally understand that. Right. I wish that there was, I don't know how you get around this because we need to be privacy conscious and we can't allow people to creepily track people or whatever, but yeah, that's a use case for me where I like the automatic. I would love to be able to do that with the AirTag and I probably won't be able to. So we'll see. Apparently from some of the stuff I've read, Apple can change it on their end and if they find that it's a little too aggressive every three days to be in range that they might make it a little bit longer. Okay. If I could do like seven days, it would probably work because I got to move my car once a week, but yeah, we'll see. But that, that's a use case for me that's slightly disappointing but i'm still excited to test them out yeah and i saw on twitter some people are really hammering in this privacy and security thing and thinking that like domestic abuse and stalking is going to be an increased problem and it's like we've had location trackers for a long long time right you know tile has been around chipolo is coming out but also just the location of devices not just find my but android has these features as well yep and apple watch built-in gps and apple took i think all the right steps in preventing any kind of you know, malfeasance and this kind of thing. So I, I think this is a kind of bizarre argument. It's a little overblown and I wish that there was a little bit more granular control, but I appreciate that Apple's looking out for security. So oh, yeah. like I said, it's a minor gripe and it's something that's just specific to me. And, and I think at the end of the day, erring on the side of caution is the right way to go with this stuff. So I think it was the right move by Apple, but we'll see how it works when it's in the wild and everybody can use them. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the huge benefit of the Apple AirTag, apart from something like Tile, is if you do lose, lose something, like you left it on a subway train or whatever, that all Apple devices, the iPhones and things like that, can see this AirTag. They can't see who it belongs to readily, but it can ping the location using all the Apple devices around. And then if someone actually does find the specific AirTag, they can scan it and get the phone number that you have attached to that AirTag so they can call you to retrieve it. One thing I thought was interesting is it, it works on Android and iPhone. Right. So if someone finds an AirTag and they have an Android phone, they can scan it with NFC and they get a nice little website with a phone number and they can call you right then. If an iPhone user finds an AirTag, it doesn't have the same cool NFC scanning feature. The person actually has to go to the Find My app and then hold their iPhone close to the AirTag, and then they can see the phone number information that you have left with it. So a little bit of a weird difference there. I wish you could just hold your iPhone close to an AirTag and the information pops up on a website right away, but cool feature nonetheless. What is it with NFC on iPhones? It seems like it's just not the same. Like, (laughs) 
right? Like I, I bought a few years ago. They they opened up NFC to series shortcuts. So right. I said, oh, I'm excited. And I bought um, a bunch of uh, little NFC stickers and they just don't work. Like, right. you know, like I, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do that. I had all these ideas and then I'll hold my phone next to it and it works maybe 50% of the time. It's like really bad. I don't know why. Yeah. I wonder if it's like a power saving measure or what? A lot of times I did a lot of those shortcut automations with NFC tags. I found like if you get too close, it doesn't work. So you can't like touch the top of your phone to an NFC tag. There has to be some space. And then I also found it works better if you've just unlocked your iPhone and hold it to an NFC tag right away which seems strange. Like if you're using your iPhone, you should just be able to hold it to an NFC tag and it scans it quickly. But for some reason, if I lock my phone, unlock it, and then hold it quickly to that NFC tag, it works. So it is strange. But then other things like Link, L-I-N-Q, they make business cards and Apple Watch bands now that have NFC in them where you can scan the thing and it's like a virtual business card, but you need to use either the app or, you know, uh, do some kind of like weird shortcut thing. It doesn't just work. You can't just like hold your iPhone close to it and then the information just pops up in a website. So I do wish that Apple could open that up and also use NFC on the Apple Watch in the same way, because right now you can't do an NFC automation and shortcuts from the Apple Watch. It's only the phone. Right. But the Apple Watch has NFC too. So it, it's just weird differences there. And, and this is why I'm a little disappointed that we don't have the U1 chip on everything at this point. Right. Because like even AirDrop, how long has AirDrop been around? Like 10 years now? <laughs> on my Mac, it, it doesn't work that well. Like, right. it, like it, it'll work well on my iPhone. But like if I'm trying to AirDrop to a Mac or from a Mac, yeah. it's like I'll tell my wife, well, I'll send it to you. It's not sending. It, it cancels out. She can't find it. Got to open AirDrop in Finder to get it to trigger. Change it so it's open to everybody, not just your contacts. Change it back. Like it seems like a lot of times we're just messing around with it to try to get it to work and it's not working. It seems like it works a lot better on my iPhone than it does on my Mac. And I attribute that probably to the fact that they have, you know, more advanced, you know, wireless stuff in the newer iPhones than my yeah. 2018 Mac or whatever. But it's like I do see with my HomePod MIDI and my iPhone 12 Pro, when I put it within range, it immediately starts working. So it's like, right. give me the U1 chip and everything. Like, <laughs> and I want everything. all these devices. Exactly. It's not in the new iPads. Right. It's not on the new iPads, which is really unfortunate. It's not in the new... It's not in the new remote for the Apple TV. The Siri remote. I know. Missed opportunity. You were actually close to being right. AirDrop came out nine years ago in 2011 with iOS 7. So good call on that. Yeah, it's been around for a long time and it still doesn't work that well. And, and I attribute it mostly to <laughs> the, the reliance on Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, which is why Apple has to do the, the U1 chip. But yeah. it's this weird thing where it's only some iPhones have it, not all iPhones have it. The SE doesn't have it. Right. And it's like, we, we saw it with 3D Touch and all this stuff. It's like, you need to have universal adoption across all devices for it to really work. Right. And if we don't get there, then it might peter out. So I'm hopeful that they continue to invest in it. Right. So my son, he thinks he's an expert on all Apple devices now. And he was trying to airdrop something to me. He has an iPod Touch, pretty recent model. iPod Touch to my iPhone. And we were at a place where I was connected to the Wi-Fi network of the place, but he was not. But airdrop is supposed to work either way. You know, airdrop is supposed to work like you could be in the desert. Right. And you and another person can airdrop something to each other. You need no internet access. Exactly. And so he wasn't on the Wi-Fi network, but his Wi-Fi was on. And so I told him, you know, AirDrop works without it. You don't have to connect to the Wi-Fi network. And he was like, okay, but I don't think it's going to work. And I was like, yeah, he said, no, I think I need to be on the Wi-Fi network. You know, I need to have internet to AirDrop. And I was like, no, you don't, but okay. And so we tried to AirDrop first and it didn't work. And then to prove his point, 
I put his iPod touch on the Wi-Fi network and then AirDrop worked and I was furious because <laughs> now it looks like he got the upper hand on this Apple device from me. So, yes, I would love AirDrop to work better. Wait, he, he thinks he knows everything about Apple products? It sounds like he's well on his way to becoming a Apple Insider commenter. <laughs> he, he might be. He thinks he could do it at 12 years old. So I kid because I love. I kid because I love. Yeah, yeah. So Apple has not announced the official availability date of the new M1 iPad Pro, iMac, and Apple TV, but they have said second half of May. But then friend of the show, Jason A10, actually found in the HTML code of the newsroom press release that May 21st was in one of the description dates. So again, not for sure because Apple did not officially say May 21st, but it looks like May 21 might be when these products deliver if you order it on launch day or available in the store. So you have about three weeks we have to wait before these products are available. So May 21. I don't buy it. You don't buy it? I don't buy it. Remember a few years ago when they announced the Trash Can uh, Mac Pro and they were yes. like, it's shipping before the end of the year and they shipped well. like one unit at 11.59 p.m. <laughs> on December 31st. And they're like, yes. we shipped it, see? And it's yeah. like, come on, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. So you're saying if I get my order in at 8.01 a.m., that you don't think I'm going to get it May 21st? You'll be lucky if you get yours on the 21st. I would say oh, man. more likely right. if they go on a Friday, it'll be the 28th. Uh, but they do have until Memorial Day, Monday the 31st. But since it's a holiday in the U.S., it'll probably be the 28th would be my guess. If I if I was betting, that would be mm. most likely. Yeah, I just think you're mad about the Magic Keyboard. I think that's why you're downplaying <laughs> all this. This episode is brought to you by EveryPlate. EveryPlate is a meal delivery service that makes it easy and affordable to cook hearty, delicious family-pleasing meals. I'll be honest, I've checked out those other meal delivery services and a lot of them are kind of expensive, but every plate, one meal is basically the price of a cup of coffee. And not only that, but these meals are filling and taste great. You get more bang for your buck. Every plate dinners are less expensive and more fulfilling, and it's a great alternative to takeout or delivery. Maybe you struggle to meal plan or get recipes together. Well, think of every plate as doing the grocery shopping for you, the meal planning for you, and sending you the recipe. Every plate provides easy to follow recipe cards, beautifully designed and very easy to follow, might I add, with pre-portioned ingredients so you can spend less time prepping and cooking and more time enjoying good food with family or loved ones. You can get meal kits for two people or up to four people. And if you're by yourself, get the two meal plan and then you can have lunch for the next day. Maybe you're struggling to get to the grocery store or find time to shop. Every plate can take care of all of that. Recipes come together in just about 30 minutes. It's definitely faster than a trip to the grocery store and starting a meal from scratch. And we all know what it's like to try and find a recipe online. You got to read somebody's life story before they just tell you the ingredients. Well, that's not the way with every plate. You get these beautiful meal cards and easy to follow. I've gotten a number of these meals, and let me tell you, one of my favorites is this sriracha pork stir-fry. I don't cook full meals a lot. I can make some eggs, I can grill a steak, but I've never done a full meal like this one. And the ingredient list and the steps made it super easy. This sriracha pork stir-fry, it tasted great. It was the first time I did a meal like this all by myself. And I also got a sweet and tangy cherry meatballs and a garlic rosemary chicken. And let me tell you, not only was it filling and tasted great, I was able to save the second portion for lunch the next day, and it worked out. It saved me time, even over two days. And because typically a meal is just $4.99, I'm saving money too. So you can try every plate for just $1.99 per meal, plus an additional 20% off your next two boxes by going to everyplate.com and entering the promo code APPLEINSIDER199. That's all one word, Apple Insider 199. Go to everyplate.com, click the Get Started button, and enter the promo code Apple Insider 199. Our thanks to Everyplate for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Molecule. That's Molecule with a K, and they are leading the way 
in air purification. Listen, we're all spending a lot more time indoors, and indoor air can actually be five times worse than outdoor air. Plus, you have allergens, and maybe there's even pets in your home. Believe it or not, over 80% of people living in urban areas are exposed to air quality below World Health Organization standards. And you might have tried other air purifiers before, but Molecule is unique and different. You see, most other air purifiers collect pollutants on filters, like a HEPA filter, and then you have to empty that or change the filter. But those things aren't destroyed. The pollutants and the things in the air, they just are trapped. But Molecule actually uses a patented PICO technology. That's photoelectrochemical oxidation. That's the fancy word for it. And it is scientifically proven to break down pollutants to safer molecular components without producing ozone and known lung irritants. And it destroys those airborne pollutants. It doesn't just trap them. In fact, Molecule's PICO technology meets performance criteria in FDA guidance for use in helping to reduce risk of exposure to COVID-19. But what I actually love about Molecule air purifiers is that they don't look like other air purifiers. They are beautifully designed. Some models even come with the HomeKit, Apple Smart Home Standard, and the technology is revolutionary. The units look sleek and modern, and they're made with premium materials. Molecule also has a wide variety of products that cover small rooms up to 250 square feet or the Molecule Air Pro for extra large rooms up to 1,000 square feet. And don't think about this just for your home, but maybe the office or workplace. It's a great way to purify the air and destroy those airborne pollutants instead of just trapping them. So here's what you do. For a limited time, you can save up to $120.00 on Molecule Air Purifiers by visiting Molecule, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com, and use the promo code Apple Insider, all one word. You'll enjoy free shipping and a 30-day at-home trial on your order. So that's promo code Apple Insider, all one word, at Molecule.com. Molecule with a K dot com. Our thanks to Molecule for sponsoring this episode. So the news came out, and an Apple rep actually confirmed it to Wes Hilliard here at Apple Insider. But the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, the new one, the Magic Keyboard, it was not available at first, and now Apple says it is available, but the new model Magic Keyboard for the 12.9-inch is only for the new model. And the implication is, if you bought the 12.9-inch Magic Keyboard last year, when it was launched, this thing's only a year old, that it will not fit the new model 12.9 inch iPad Pro because it's half a millimeter thicker. Now, Apple confirmed this. I'm still waiting for the initial reviews to come out because I really want someone to try it because there's been people on Twitter like shoving pieces of paper to make up the thickness difference. Right. And people say like, it fits just fine. It closes all the way. I don't know why it wouldn't work. So, but Apple did say it does not work. If you have the old 12.9 inch Magic Keyboard, the first generation one, that it would not work with the new one. And that uh, made you not buy it, Neil. What's up? You know, and and there's some people out there that are holding out hope that maybe it's just because of Apple's, you know, meticulous attention to detail, that half millimeter, they're saying it's not compatible. But in reality, when you get it in your hands, maybe it will work. And maybe it will. I I don't know. We won't find out until somebody's tested it and tried it and and all that. But I mean, let's be real. I I wrote an editorial about this saying that Apple should offer a trade-in program because I'm not an idiot. And I don't think that Apple should give everybody a free keyboard because they bought one a year ago. I'm, I'm not stupid. 
but they do do trade-ins for other devices and it would make sense because accessories on the market they don't sell nobody cares you know <laughs> how many times they sold an ipad and said well i'll sell it to you with the official apple dock back when they made docks and they're like well i don't care about the dock like right. i'll sell it to you with the with the smart cover i don't care about that they just want the ipad you know right, right, no, right. nobody cares about these accessories and stuff they're not worth as much on the resale market so it's hard to sell them a lot of times people are like i just don't want it right. so it'd be nice if apple even just offered like a hundred dollars toward the trade-in of a new keyboard it's overpriced like $350 for this keyboard. I love the keyboard. I use it all the time. Yeah. I love my iPad. It's a great product. $350 for a keyboard and trackpad is a lot of money. Yeah. That is just, it's a fact. Like, th th there's no debating on this one. A year ago, they launched it. It was compatible with the previous generation iPad from 2018, which is what I have. And it was also compatible with the iPad that was launching at that point. Right. But the keyboard arrived a month later after the iPad. So it wasn't even like, <laughs> this was like a tandem, this is for this year's model. Right. It was kind of implicit in what the way that they released it that, okay, you know, this will be compatible. And so people bought it thinking, oh, okay, this will be, you know, it'll work for a few years until they change the form factor, whatever. Yeah. And, and let's be clear, they didn't change the form factor. Right. They didn't change the keyboard it's the same thing it, it, it has all the same functionality they didn't add right. a new set of function keys on it to to control stuff they didn't you know add a a, a a data port to it it's just power right everything about the keyboard is identical to last year's except for the fact that it accommodates for a half a millimeter now maybe this is all for nothing and it will end up working fine and apple is just being very you know stubborn about you know things fitting right or whatever but it turns out that the other model will fit fine i don't know it may have something to do with the cantilever design because it's a counterweight and all that sort of stuff we will see but yeah if it truly doesn't work the right thing to do for a 350 dollars keyboard is to offer people some sort of an upgrade path because it only launched a year ago and yeah. you know a lot of people in the comments or whatever are saying oh who buys a new ipad every year or whatever well it doesn't it, it's not just applicable to last year's ipad it's applicable to the one from three years ago the 2018 right. ipad so you're talking about right. people who are spending a lot of money on ipads and it's an apple's best interest to not nickel and dime them over something so small you know, this is a, an expensive accessory. So I went from, as I said, thinking I was at 99.999% sure I was going to get a new iPad because I figure, oh, $1,000 for the iPad. Uh, my keyboard will still work. I get this new display. That's great. Okay. New iPad starts at 1100 That's fine. I don't care. Uh, now you have a choice because they put the M1 chip in there between 8 and 16 gigs. Right. Well, now <laughs> it's getting a little bit more difficult, right? Do yeah. I need 16 gigs in my iPad? Not right now, but what are they going to announce at WWDC? Right. Because if at WWDC, they surprise us all and say, oh, you can run Mac OS on an iPad, which I don't think is going to happen. But if they do that, no. well, now I want a 16 gig iPad. <laughs> That starts at $1,800. Right. And then I got to buy a new keyboard, which is $350. Yeah. So I thought I was going to spend about 1000 bucks, get a new iPad and get this great display. Now I'm looking at about $2,200 before taxes. So yeah. that's that's a big price jump. And so now I've, I've decided to take a wait and see approach. I'm going to see what they do with iPad OS at WWDC. Yeah. I'm going to see if the keyboard works. And if the new keyboard uh, works, you know, if, if the old keyboard works with the new iPad and they do something exciting at WWDC, then I'll get a 16 gig iPad and I'll be ready to go. Yeah. If iPad OS is doing the same stuff, then maybe I'll just get an 8 gig uh, 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 RAM iPad. Right. So we'll see. But I, I can't make that financial commitment right now because it's just not worth it. There's no there's no incentive for me to get that new display that badly. Not not for that kind of money. So first of all, yeah, I do think it's a, it's just a little crazy that a product that's barely a year old is now obsolete if you want to get the newest iPad. It's weird. And I agree. There should be some kind of trade-in program or whatever. I'm in the fortunate position where I had the 11-inch before. Right. So if I want to go 12.9, I have to buy a new Magic Keyboard. Either way, my hardest decision is white or black. And I think I'm going to try the white to all 
Yeah, it looks good. Warning signs. It looks good, but... You're going to get dirt all over it, but it looks good. It's going to get dirt all over it, but I'm going to try it. Your we'll son, see how it an a- Apple expert, is going to get his fingerprints <laughs> all over it. Oh, they, they can't touch anything. They, that's just terrible. I mean, kids, <laughs> just everything's dirty. But anyway, and what's difficult, too, about the iPad Pro is as excited as I am about the M1 chip, 16 gigs of RAM, it has blurred the line so much between the Mac and the iPad because you can get the same specs in this new iPad Pro as you can in the MacBook Air the MacBook Pro, the new iMac, and the Mac Mini. Like this iPad can spec be spec just as high. And I guess I understand why they called the chip they put in the iPad Pro the M1. Maybe for marketing, maybe it's because everybody just loves it. And they were like, well, everybody loves a chip. Let's just put it in there. But it just blurs the line so much when it's the exact same chip. It's not an A14X. It's not some other chip for the iPad Pro. It is the exact same M1. And if you look on Apple's website and you spec up a MacBook Air, it's going to be cheaper than this new 12.9-inch iPad Pro yep. if you get the keyboard with it. For some people, I had people emailing me and tweeting, you know, if, if I want to get a device and I'm going to spend $2,000, what should I get? And this was a question that we had to wrestle with for a long time prior to M1 because certain devices like the iPad Pro, when the only Macs were Intel Macs, was a faster and better experience in certain price ranges. And so when people asked, what should my one device be? It was a tough decision, but it was like, if you if your needs are X, Y, and Z, email, web, and you just look at photos, get the iPad Pro, Magic Keyboard, it's going to be a better experience and faster. Yep. And then when the M1 MacBook Air came out, the answer was, everyone just get an M1 MacBook Air. It's amazing. It's super fast. It's going to last forever. And unless you're doing some kind of super video editing or development, like this is the computer for you. But now people are having the same question. Do I get an M1 iPad Pro 12.9 inch, 16 gigs of RAM, one terabyte for $2,200? Or do I get an M1 MacBook Air with the same specs and save some money? Plus I have macOS. And if it's a person's only device, I'm still hard pressed to say iPad because they might run into something, whether it's a website. You know, I still run into websites, even though Apple says the iPad browser is now desktop Safari. Right. There's still websites that don't function on the iPad. Like you just can't tap certain drop downs or you can't, you know, check a box, you know, for some medical website or whatever. Yep. And so if it's a person's only device, it still can't be iPad OS unless they make some significant change at DubDub. Yeah, no, I, I have uh, my MacBook Pro here docked. My iPad Pro is connected to it um, as a second monitor, and I have an LG Ultrafine display as my main display. And with this new iPad and USB 4 Thunderbolt, I could literally replace my Mac with my iPad if it ran Mac OS. Like, and I would. I, I honestly probably would. Because the thing I like most about the iPad is it's the computer you need in the moment, right? Right. So if you were to undock it, take it with you, run it as an iPad, that's fine. And then if I could dock it and have it turn into a Mac, that'd be great. I don't think Apple's going to do that. But I mean, the, the horsepower is there. There's no technical reason that they couldn't do it at this point when they're running the M1 chip. Right. It's the same as the latest Macs. I could do the entire same setup, connect it to my CalDigit dock, connect it to my monitor. It would all work. They would all work with that hardware. It's in there. It's capable. But we'll see what they do at, uh, as you call it, dub dub because you know i don't really <laughs> i don't know where they're gonna go with the ipad at this point there's so much horsepower in there and the design is so great and the the uh, the os is so limited you can't multitask with it in the way that you something exciting because this new ipad is amazing yeah and i want it very badly and you know <laughs> th- this this keyboard situation i tell you People in the comments, uh, you know, I joke about people in the comments, but they're saying, you know, they're, they're rushing to defend a trillion dollar corporation that's making money hand over fist saying, 
oh, <laughs> Apple isn't afraid to innovate, and that's why it's okay that they release a new $350 keyboard a year later. It's a millimeter difference. A half a millimeter, half, sorry. Half a millimeter, Half a yeah. millimeter difference. Same keyboard, same functionality, same everything. Yeah. So you're going to bend over backwards to defend the giant corporation that is going to charge you $350 for a new keyboard because of a half millimeter difference? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like, listen, yeah, I, I understand that people, you know, are very big fans of Apple and this corporate stuff and all that. Corporations are not your friend at the end of the day. You need to look out for yourself with your own dollars too. So keep that in mind. Yeah. And just to be clear, the MacBook Air, same specs, is $1,650. Yep. Whereas a 12.9-inch, same specs, 1 terabyte, 16 gigs of RAM, is $1,800 plus Magic Keyboard 350, so you're at $2,150. So And you get one less port. You get one less port, and you don't get macOS. And, you know, actually, someone commented on the YouTube video that I put up about why I'm upgrading to the iPad Pro. I'll put a link to that YouTube video in show notes, too, so you can see it. But they were are like a network engineer, and there are certain applications that they need running in the background all the time. And they love the iPad and would love to use it for their work. But because whatever app can't stay persistently running in the background to monitor network, the iPad is just not an option. And those are the kind of unique use cases that I think are more prevalent than maybe we realize. Just a lot of people have that one specific app or that one specific task that their job is, that just needs to do for their job. And you can't do that because of just the nature of the OS. Like there's no more hardware limitations. Like nothing about the new iPad Pro is physically a barricade. It is just the OS. And, you know, I I don't care if it's Mac OS on the iPad, but you do need to bring some of that utility power, those settings, ability to manage certain peripherals, and then people can make the iPad Pro their main device. Yep, exactly. I, I don't care what they do, whether it's Mac OS or iPad OS gets blown up and turned into something else. Yeah. What it's doing right now just isn't working, and and it needs to have more power user features. I, and I don't I don't know what that is, but what I what I want to know though is who are the people out there who are going to use a Mac Mini with the new iPad as its primary display with sidecar because they don't want to spend five thousand dollars on a on an XDR Pro display. Yeah, I saw a few people tweet that they were like, "That's my plan. I want to use this amazing display." What? But I want to run Mac OS. So they were they said that that was what they were going to do, and it's like I don't know. I mean. For sidecar, you need to be able to initiate it though from the Mac. I mean, you, it doesn't just the iPad won't just wake from sleep and be in sidecar mode. But I don't know. I'm I'm more curious now that Apple has straight up marketed that the new iPad Pro can run the Pro Display XDR. I want to see the person who has the setup with an iPad Pro and a Pro Display XDR, and that's it. What are you doing with that? And are there big black bars on the left and right? <laughs> <laughs> on that Pro Display XDR. Because, I, you know, I've mentioned it before. I use my iPad with my um, LG Ultrafine display when I use Apple Fitness. I plug it in directly. Right. So I have my uh, Magic Trackpad and keyboard running through my uh, the, the USB hub on my display. Right. And when I connect it, I can use my iPad like a computer. Like the, the, yeah, yeah. the mouse and keyboard work perfectly fine with the iPad. It goes through the port. So it's like, why is it in this 4-3 aspect ratio? It's just... It's, <laughs> Oh man, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, it's strange. They, they need to they need to fix it. Yeah. So hopefully WWDC this year, June seventh is the keynote for that event. Hopefully we'll see big changes in iPad OS. I am prepared to have my heart broken. Yeah. 
I don't know. I still have some hope. I mean, the biggest change is that I think what Mark Gurman leaked was like, the home screen will be way better. It's like, no, we don't need a yeah, we don't better need home that. screen. By the way, one thing I have to add is because Mark Gurman was the one that said that they might have the uh, iPad with an arm that would follow you around the room. And what was the <laughs> thing I said a few weeks ago? I said, no, no, they have an intelligent algorithm that follows your face. They can just use an ultra wide camera and then it'll oh, that's digitally right. zoom in and follow you around. And guess what? That's the feature on the new <laughs> iPad. So I was right again. Boom. <laughs> I rest my case. You called it. All right. Very good. I'm not always right, but I was right on that one. So let me take the victory lap. That's all. Listen, the day Apple car is released, William will, will have a parade and say he was right. <laughs> he did it. He did it. All right. Well, also iOS 14.5 and all these subsequent operating systems, watchOS 7.4, macOS 11.3, that all launched this past week on Monday. And so if you haven't updated yet, you can do it. Although I don't know if you should just yet, because there are a number of bugs we'll talk about in a second. But the standout features were mask unlock. So if you have an iPhone 10 or newer with Face ID and you have an Apple Watch Series 3 or newer, you can turn on that unlock with Apple Watch feature. So if you're wearing a mask, your iPhone will see that you're wearing a mask and then unlock if you have your Apple Watch on and that's unlocked. Do you think people buy watches just for that feature? I don't know. Now that, you know, the CDC said people can be outside without masks if they're vaccinated, you know, we're finally maybe coming to the decline of mask wearing. I don't know. It's, it's a great feature. I mean, I did not try it during the beta season because I, I like to wait till the public releases. And I have to say, it works extremely well. Right. I used it with grocery shopping this past week after it came out publicly. And it works super fast and it unlocks. I feel a little tap on my wrist to let me know that it was my watch that unlocked it. So it's an amazing feature. If people haven't tried it, I highly recommend it. But maybe, I mean, you can get an Apple Watch Series 3, although I don't get a Series 3. You know, if you don't have an Apple Watch, get at least a 5 and it'll future-proof you a little bit. There's good sales on right now, even like $200 Series 6s. But but maybe, but it's a great feature. Have you used it in the beta time or now? Yeah, it's hit or miss for me. I, I've been running the beta. Um, I think uh, it was a missed opportunity for Apple that they this was in beta for so long, as you say, you know, the latest CDC recommendations. I think that mask wearing is probably going to stick with us. I think a lot of people are just going to wear them in public just, you know, because it makes sense. Right. You know, I've, yeah. I've talked to people who say, well, I haven't had a cold in the last year, so maybe I should keep doing this. So <laughs> I think that right. maybe some habits will, will change and, and it'll be a valuable feature. I know that it's obviously very common across Asia to just wear a mask in public. So that can right, be an right. appealing uh, thing in that market as well. But yeah, I mean, it's a great feature. It doesn't work reliably enough for me to say that I love it, uh, but I'm happy that it's there and I think it's well implemented. I just, I just wish that it was a little bit more reliable. So you have the mask unlock that's available to you. The color balancing on Apple TV. If you have an Apple TV HD with tvOS or newer and an iPhone, you can do the color balancing thing. I did that minor change to my TV, but you know, I'll go with it. It wouldn't let me do it. It, it said because I have an HDR TV uh, with Dolby Vision, it said that it's already perfectly calibrated. What? So it wouldn't let me do it. I, I was kind of disappointed. Like I wanted to use it. I was like, ooh, let me try this feature. And then it, it said, no, you're good. <laughs> That's strange. So I have an HDR TV. It's an LG, but I guess Dolby Vision is like another level HDR. Yeah, it's like Dolby has a standard for HDR, you know, whatever oh. the calibration thing is, you need to have, you know, okay. whatever. So, yeah, I went to turn on and it was like, I almost wish that they would just let me do it anyhow, like not even change anything. Yeah. But like, let me feel cool holding my phone up to my TV <laughs> and have it work. But now they said, they said it wasn't necessary or something. So, okay. It was pretty interesting. You know, it's a fun little animation it does on the screen. You hold your iPhone up and it says, here's the difference. And you can toggle between the balanced color from Apple or the way it was before and choose which one you want to go with. So. Did it on the One TV is pretty cool. It does like disconnect for a second sometimes now. Like if I start watching something, if I click play on a movie or TV show, 
it'll actually lose the input connection for a second and then come back when the show starts. I don't know if that's my TV or if the Apple TV is like recalibrating quickly for the content. So I don't know. It might be a bug. One of many in all these OSs, maybe. So I, I finally the other day went and played um, the NBA 2K1 or whatever that was released on Apple Arcade. Yeah. And I don't know if it was a because I have the latest Apple TV, not the new new one, but Apple TV 4K. And I don't know if this was like a, a bug. I, I got to try to launch it again, but I connected a controller. I went to play it. The resolution on the players jerseys was so low. It was like sub N64 graphics. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it was a bug or what, oh, but I was man. everything else looked kind of OK. But for some reason, like you couldn't even read the names on the jerseys. Really? And it was like, yeah, it was like, what is this? Like PlayStation one or something? It's weird. I, I got to go play it again but like yeah i'm kind of disappointed that the new apple tv is limited to the a12 chip i wish that they had gone with something newer yeah um because there are some great games like you can play the pathless on your ps5 and you can also play it on your apple tv but it looks a lot worse on your apple tv because it doesn't have as much horsepower right so I, I don't know if that was a limitation or what but I, I gotta go back and look but i am a little disappointed by the a12 chip i will be getting it because i do play games on my apple tv and uh, maybe maybe i'll be able to read the names on the players jerseys with the new one <laughs> All right, so you have that. You have uh, incident reporting in maps now. So when you're navigating in maps, you can say there's an accident and you'll see different accident information. I feel like you were able to see accidents before, but I guess now you can be proactively in reporting that. This episode is brought to you by the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. Guys, you know of Nebbia. I've talked about them on this podcast before. Still using their shower and my entire family loves the shower experience and knowing that we save water every time we do it. Nebbia started in Mexico City where water shortages were a big problem. Came to Silicon Valley and none other than Tim Cook was Nebbia's first investor. Then developers from Tesla, Apple, and NASA, they all came to work for Nebbia to develop the Nebbia shower that not only saves money, but gives you a superior shower experience. Currently, the Nebbia company has saved over 175 million gallons of water. Now, I know the idea of swapping out your shower may seem intimidating. Maybe you're not a super do-it-yourself person. And that's me. I don't do a lot of stuff around the house, but when I got the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower, they give you all the instructions and all the parts you need. I was actually able to switch out my shower head in just about 15 minutes. It's an easy do-it-yourself install. And now everyone loves the shower experience. It actually feels like a spa because it atomizes the water molecules. That's a fancy word for it. And it basically envelops you with water. One of my favorite features of the Nebbia shower is that it's height adjustable so my kids can lower it and my wife and I can raise it up. I actually got the model with the wand and let me highly recommend that wand because that plus the shower head is just an awesome experience. It gets as hot as you want it. That's the thermal comfort level if you want the technical term. And the rinseability is great. It'll wash any kind of shampoo out of your hair and soap off your body. Again, just a great experience. And you know you're saving 45% water compared to other standard showers. It also comes in beautiful finishes. I got the brush to nickel finish, so it's fingerprint resistant. And I also got some accessories that match the shower perfectly and look great in my bathroom. There's a shower shelf where you can hang some loofahs and put shampoos on top. And these little towel hooks. Everything just looks great against my tile. And I know I'm getting a great shower experience while saving water. Right now, listeners of the Apple Insider Podcast can get 15% off Nebbia products. Nebbia doesn't normally do sales, but they've partnered with us for a long time, and this is a great opportunity. So go to nebbia.com slash appleinsider, take a look around, and then use the coupon code appleinsider, all one word, when checking out. That's nebbia.com slash appleinsider, and use the promo code appleinsider, all one word, at checkout. Our thanks to Nebbia for sponsoring this episode.
This episode is brought to you by Starkmail. Listen, free email services like Gmail and Yahoo aren't really free. You pay with your privacy. In fact, the big tech companies bank on exploiting your data by selling it to the highest bidder. Your business plan? Google has it in Gmail. Medical records? Yahoo can sell them to drug companies. You know, since Apple released that app tracking transparency, it's been so clear how all these companies are tracking all that data and free email services is one of the ways that these companies get your data, sell those, and then that's how you get those creepy ads. Like, how could this company know that I've actually researched this? Or maybe you emailed someone about it and your data is just out there. Privacy and security does not come with these free email services. That's why I recommend Startmail. It can make you feel safe again. Startmail keeps your email private. Every email can be encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. And when you delete an email in Startmail, it's gone forever. Startmail uses their own servers, not Amazon's, which a lot of cloud services use the Amazon Web Services, but Startmail has their own servers, which means they can't be put out of business like Parler. Switching to Startmail is seamless too. You can easily transfer all your current email data so there's no starting from scratch. And Startmail is also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. You also get unlimited anonymous aliases. This can protect your main email address from spam and phishing attacks. So when you're giving your email to a company or maybe you're using it on a website like Craigslist, create an alias for free in Startmail and then your actual email address isn't out there for the world to see. I really enjoy using Startmail because it's designed beautifully. It's simple to use. You can use custom domains just like those other guys. And knowing it's private and secure makes all the difference. Take control of your privacy with Startmail before it's too late. Start securing your email privacy with Startmail. Sign up today and you'll get 50% off. That is half off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash AI. That's startmail with a T, S-T-A-R-T mail.com slash the letters AI for 50% off your first year. Startmail.com slash AI. Our thanks to Startmail for sponsoring this episode. One of the big things was that the podcast app in iOS 14.5 got a redesign. And that's in the biggest air quotes because I actually don't find it to look very different. I mean, what's different is the show page slash episode page. And now here's where I go into a mini rant. Please. I love podcasts. I think you all listeners would know that because I do this podcast every week. But I have long used Pocket Casts as my podcast player of choice. I love it. Still do. I still think it's one of the best. I know many people like Overcast, but Pocket Casts is great. And so I had not tried to use the Apple Podcasts app personally in years. I just have not done it. Not even really opened the app unless I'm getting the link to share the show. But now that I'm trying it again, because with these new subscriptions that are coming, you're not going to be able to do it in another podcast app. You have to do it in Apple Podcasts. And because we'll be participating in that program, I would like to know how it works. Now, there's been a whole mess on the back end in the Apple Podcast Connect, and maybe we'll have time to get to that. But just in the actual podcast app, the app right now in 14.5 is buggy as heck. It is a dumpster fire of an app. And if you have not seen it yet, or maybe you haven't updated to iOS 14.5, I don't know. I don't know if I recommend if you do it or not. But if you do it, all links are broken. So any episode show notes, if you go and look and, you know, I put all the links and I put a ton of stuff in show notes for the listeners. You can't click any links unless you actually put .com in the text of the link. You're like, you can't do an HTML link or anything like that. So that's broken. The up next, I don't know if it always worked this way, but I feel like there's three up next screens. If you're currently listening to an episode, you can swipe up and it'll tell you what's going to play next. But then if you go to the Listen Now tab on the left, bottom left, 
There's also a up next, but those are not necessarily the episodes that will play next. It's just episodes you have waiting, I guess. And then there's also in the library, you have latest episodes as well. And so just in general, I don't know, Those are, most of you use the Apple Podcast app. Like we said before, I think it's like 70% of the Apple Insider listeners use the Stock Podcast app. But I would love to hear, those of you who used it regularly, if you update it to iOS 14.5, let me know if you have experienced some of these bugs, if you actually feel like it's better or worse. And I also feel like the podcast pages, because this was Apple's big thing, is like redesigned show pages. And so if you go to the Apple Insider podcast show page, you have that. It looks a little different. looks nice. That's fine. Episodes underneath. But then if you go to an actual episode, it looks the same as the show page. And so a lot of times I'm not sure if I'm looking at an individual episode page or if I'm looking at the main podcast page and then like, what do I do from there? And also like managing that up next queue or what's playing next. So if you're actually listening to a podcast and you swipe up and you see the list of shows that are literally going to play next, managing that list, I don't even know how you do it. In Pocket Casts, you can swipe on an upcoming episode and you can say, no, don't play this and it'll go away. And you can reorder the episodes that are going to be playing next as well. But as far as I can tell, in the Apple Podcasts app, you really have no choice of what's in that playing next thing. Like I can't delete episodes that are coming next. I've seen users also reporting that they're getting notifications of like 99 new episodes available from Apple Insider. It's like, well, I didn't upload 99 episodes last week. I uploaded one. And some, <laughs> I mean, I know you worked hard, but. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't, can't do 99 episodes in a week. And I've gotten actually those notifications for several shows because I've never had notifications on before for Apple Podcasts. This is the first time. And it's like 99 episodes available from this and other shows. So whatever is going on in Apple Podcasts, it is really broken. And so I'm hoping that bug fixes come soon. But do you use the actual official Apple Podcasts app or use a third party? I, I do. So um, okay. I have a rule of thumb when it comes to native uh, apps on my devices versus third party apps. And it needs to be cross platform and it needs to specifically work on the Apple Watch because I like to leave my Apple Watch at home or my phone at home a lot and just bring my Apple Watch. Right. So I use any list instead of reminders. Uh, it, yep. It's great. It has a native uh, watch app. It works with yep. uh, Siri. Um, I love any list. I, I, I use it with my HomePod. It's great. I love it. Um, I use Carrot Weather. Um, I use Spark for email. Uh, but I use the uh, the native podcast app because I can use it with my watch. Pocket Cast has an Apple Watch app, by the way, and it works it? great. Okay. Just saying. Automatically downloads episodes. So I, I've never used Pocket Cast. Uh, I converted William, too. But have so is you're on 14.5 or, or are you on the beta on your iPhone as well? I'm on I'm on beta. Okay, so how's the Apple Podcast app for you at the, this past week? You know, I, so I don't. I basically just play a podcast and that's it. I don't dig into the show notes or anything like that. I realize okay. that's sacrilegious to say, since I know you spend so much time putting all this stuff together in the background. No, that's right. Nobody's perfect. Uh, here. That's fine. But that's no, fine. I just I just listen to the podcast, and so I I don't really have any problems, um, and I don't have notifications turned on for episodes. I just kind of pull it up and see what's new and do it do it. That okay, way. all right. My my podcast listening habits have changed dramatically since I don't have a commute anymore for work. Right. So, so it used to be I would listen to audiobooks from iBooks or Apple Books now, I guess. Um, and I would listen to podcasts a lot. And so I would have, you know, I'd use the the watch apps for those uh, to interact with. Uh, but now I'm mostly just sitting at my desk. I, and like I wear my watch when I go out to run, you know, uh, to exercise or do groceries or whatever. Um, yeah. But that's not usually like podcast listening. Like I don't listen to a podcast while I go for a run. So Right, right. Well, there's a website, transistor.fm, and Dan on Twitter actually sent me this link, and I'll put it in show notes, but 
Transistor is like keeping a running tally of all the things that are broken in the Apple Podcasts <laughs> app and in the Apple Podcast Connect creator side. Or you can visit that link if you want to know all the things that are broken with it. But Did you get all your Connect stuff worked out? I just got access to the Apple Insider shows like two days ago. <laughs> and so it was it was a solid week where you had to sign up for the new like Podcast Connect. Like There were agreements to sign. Right, yeah. You had to put in the technical context. So we did all that. And then it was like nothing. I would log into Podcast Connect and it would say, oh, we're getting your shows ready. It'll be a few hours. And a few hours turned into basically a week. I had no access to the shows. I wasn't able to you know, make any RSS changes or see anything in Podcast Connect. But I finally got access to it. And it's a little broken as well. Sometimes it'll just log me out randomly. So that's always fun. There's also no way to refresh your RSS feed anymore. Like you used to be able to go into Podcast Connect and do a manual refresh once every 24 hours to kind of kick Apple Podcasts to seeing your episode. And they've taken that option away. So hopefully, I mean, if you're listening to this episode, you got it in the app. <laughs> but those of you who are not hearing it, I don't know what to tell you. It's an Apple Podcast thing. <laughs> and then there's also some new features. Like I, I actually looked in there today, and Apple has added a place to add subscriber content to an episode. I tweeted this out. I'll, I'll put the link in show notes. But you can basically add another audio file that would be available to paid subscribers for the podcast. I mean, you can't subscribe yet. That option is not available yet. Apple has not released that feature. Yeah, it's like bonus content. Yeah, and so I can upload an MP3 file for that, like right now, apparently, but it would go nowhere. <laughs> and that's fine. I mean, they're getting it all ready, but it's just in a weird place right now before the stuff officially launches. I just hope all the bugs get fixed. That's all. Could be worse. Could be iTunes ping. <laughs> ping, ping. That was that was the thing. That was a thing. <laughs> it was a thing. But it's also, you know, on the heels of Apple making this big deal of the subscriptions, it's kind of unfortunate that all these bugs are so prevalent. And also, Spotify announced th this past week that, oh, yeah, we're going to do this too. They're offering paid subscriptions, and they are not taking a cut for the first few years, unlike Apple. So we talked about this last week. Apple's taking 30% of podcast subscriptions in the first year. If a subscriber continues, then it turns to 15%. But that 30% cut, pretty big for podcast supporters, Spotify is saying, we're not going to take anything. And in 2023, podcast subscriptions will pay 5%. Spotify will take 5% and the podcast creator takes the other 95. So better deal for podcast creators, but they also have a very convoluted way that users are going to be able to subscribe to Spotify premium podcast content using Anchor, which they recently bought Anchor, which was the free podcasting service. So if you want to support a podcast in Spotify, It'll shoot you over to Anchor, and that's where you pay for it. And then it'll add this. I don't know. It seems very convoluted, even worse than what's going on with Apple Podcasts. So they did announce it was available. I'm, I'm glad that Apple Podcasts doesn't lock you in, at least. But I will say that when the when the saints over at Spotify who have built their empire up based on ripping off artists are making you look like the, the stingy, greedy company, maybe it's not a good look. But I've realized that, you know, Apple's business model has just always been 30% at all their digital storefronts. and They're just kind of following that way. Yeah. But, you know, most podcasters that would be doing this, you know, the vast majority of them are going to be small time folks you know, just doing something for a small community as opposed to, you know, these big stars that are exclusive to platforms and stuff. So yeah, and they might want to rethink that business model. Yeah. And I mean, just do what you do with the app store, which they recently changed that to 15% if you make less than a million dollars a year. Yeah. And I, I feel comfortable telling you, listener, we don't make a million dollars a year on this podcast <laughs> in case you didn't we realize. Do we do not. <laughs> so we would fall healthily in that 15% cut. And I don't know, I think that would be a good change if they could make it. Yeah, I like 
that it's not exclusive. You know, they could lock you in and all that. I think that it's a step in the right direction. It's good. It's a good thing to offer and and to give podcasters a way to make some money is a good thing. They'll they'll iron out the kinks. It, it's just frustrating when you're an early adopter like this and you're just running into so many problems. So I feel your pain. All right, you had an interesting device that you tweeted about. It's the Apple Watch Cam. And this is something that people have actually thought about before because the Apple Watch, you know, if you want to go for a run, you want to go to the grocery store, you can do it with just an Apple Watch. Now, if you have cellular, you can get texts, make calls, use apps like AnyList for groceries. But if you wanted to snap a picture of something, you can't do that with your watch. And this accessory is trying to solve that issue. So tell me about the Apple Watch Cam. Yeah, it's called, it's called the wrist cam, and I'm in a weird place where I guess the Venn diagram of, of people who use their Apple Watch a lot and who like wearable cameras, I'm I'm that guy. I'm like the one person <laughs> that this product applies to. A very small sliver of that Venn yeah, diagram. Yeah, I realize there's not you. a huge market for this thing, but they, they did a Kickstarter a few years ago. It was called something else then, and like every Kickstarter, they ran into some trouble, but they saw it through the end. They rebranded. Now it's out, so they sent me a review unit. I can't review it yet. We have an embargo until the end of the month, uh, but because uh, I, I guess there's some new features coming for it. Uh, but I can talk about it, um, and I did tweet about it. And I, I got it out, and it, you know, there's a million things going against it. It's a chunky thing. Uh, it's got a proprietary charger. It's not as good as your iPhone camera. Like, there's a there's so many caveats to this product. that, I, And I, I took it out of the box, and I, I took a photo it, like in a low-light situation inside my apartment. And I was like, ooh, man. But then I took it outside, and I took some photos with it. And you can see the ones that I tweeted. I'm sure you'll put it in the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Not bad. Like, it's not as good as my iPhone 12 <laughs> Pro camera, which I would expect, but it's an 8 megapixel camera, and it took an okay photo. And I think, you know, for me, a lot of times, like like I said, I go out for a run or do groceries or whatever, and sometimes you just want to take a photo of something. Like, it's there, and it's very nice to have your phone on you, but I don't like carrying my phone. My phone is a distraction. I end up doing something stupid, like checking Twitter, and I don't want to. <laughs> I like just having a watch so that people can text me or call me if they need me. I can listen to music if I want, but beyond that, I don't feel a need to, like, stare at it obsessively and, and yeah. buy into this stuff. But having a camera is nice, so... I've looked over the years at wearable cameras, small cameras, that sort of stuff. A GoPro you don't want to carry in your pocket is thicker than a phone. I would say as a as a watch band, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> sure. But as a as a wearable camera, not that bad. I'm actually kind of surprised how much I, I don't mind it. Yeah, the picture's not bad. And, you know, it's one of those things where if you're going on a run and, you know, you see like, I don't know, Sasquatch yeah. or Sasquatch, you know, you see, you see something ridiculous. Yeah. You just want to snap a photo. I was actually going for a walk the other day. I didn't have my iPhone. I was just doing AirPods and Apple Watch, listening to a podcast. And it was like some weird beaver looking thing. And people were like gawking at it and taking pictures. And I would have taken a picture if I had my phone, but I didn't. And so something like this. I'd be down with that. Is it water resistant? It is. Okay, cool. You can use it like up to a meter for 30 minutes or something. The The charger that comes with it uh, is magnetic. Hmm. Um, and it's not bad. You know, the, the charger is fine. It, it, it's a pain that you have to have a, a different cable in addition to everything else. Um, I, I took it out to the Brooklyn Botanic Garden a few days ago, and that was one of the photos that I took. And, you know, I, I used it for about an hour snapping photos and video. The battery went down to about 60%. So you could probably get a day out of it because I was heavily using it for that hour. Um, so you could probably get about a day out of it, you know, for stuff like that. It has its own uh, uh, watch, Apple Watch app, so you can use that as a viewfinder. Or if you just want to snap a photo and not use the viewfinder, it has a dedicated shutter button on it. I find that using the viewfinder is better. When I press the shutter button, I guess I'm moving my wrist, so the photos tend to be blurry. Whereas if I use the the, uh, the viewfinder on my watch and the watch app, you can just tap the top of the watch and I don't have to move my wrist. Okay. Um, it also has a selfie camera, which I don't know that I'll ever use. Um, <laughs> I don't love myself that much, I guess. And the selfie camera also takes photos only in portrait mode. 
uh, which I hmm. find to be kind of weird. I take all of my photos in landscape mode, so I don't know how much I would use the selfie cam. But the outward-facing cam, yeah. I mean, if you really want to have a, a, a camera on your Apple Watch, uh, this is it's not a bad accessory. Yeah. The problem is it's three hundred bucks. Oh wow, that's more than a, that's more than a uh, than a watch. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, true. You know, like you can get a watch for two seventy or whatever. Like you said, two hundred. Some of them are on, on sale. Yeah. This one, you know, it's it's a cool accessory. If you really want a camera, that's fine. I don't know how big the market is for it, but you could do worse. Well, it's an interesting product. Is it on sale yet, or it's not available yet? Yeah, yeah, no, you can buy it now. Okay, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, they're shipping them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm surprised by how much I, I I enjoy it. Okay, very cool. Well, we'll put the pictures and show notes and the links to to Neil's tweets as well. And before we go, I wanted to add this one. Amazing tip someone sent me on Twitter. Ben on Twitter sent me this article from a mobile gadget site, but it is instructions to turn off notifications from the Shortcuts app for all notifications. And this is one of the things where if you have automations that run on your iPhone in Shortcuts, whether they're time-based automations, NFC tags, whatever automations, they send you a notification every single time. And I really wanted to turn this off because I just added another shortcut automation. With iOS 14.5, you can now change the rotation lock of your iPhone screen in shortcuts. And so I created an automation where every time I open the Photos app, it turns off rotation lock so I can turn my phone sideways and the picture orients correctly. And whenever I close the Photos app, it will lock rotation back. It's an amazing automation. And I love it because it's the only time I really want to change the rotation lock. But every time I open the Photos app and close the Photos app, it was sending me a notification because it was a shortcut automation running. In addition to many other automations I have running, my Apple Watch face changes certain times of day. I have some home automations that run in shortcuts. So I really do not care to get these notifications. And if you go to the Settings app on your iPhone Notifications tab, Shortcuts is not there. Apple does not let you turn the notifications off in that notifications tab. But now the article that I read said, if you have screen time enabled on your phone, most people do, but if you don't, you can go to settings, go to screen time, turn screen time on. You know, you don't have to set any restrictions or anything like that. It just tells you how much time you've been on your phone or you tap, see all activity and you can see all the different apps or whatever and how most used and all that. And if you go down, there's an area called notifications and it tells you how many notifications every app has sent you in that day or in that week, depending on the view. And here you will see shortcuts as one of the things as how many notifications it has sent you that day. Now, all the other apps have this little arrow next to the app, but sometimes shortcuts does not. If you don't see the arrow, just go back a day or go forward a day, and then that arrow will appear. And if you tap that in next to the shortcuts app, you will get a notifications options and you can turn off all notifications. You can turn off banners. You can customize the notification. If you go to that, the screen time settings, the notifications and tap shortcuts. And I turned off all shortcut notifications. So now all my automations run and I don't see a single notification and my life is way better and it's incredible. And I'll put a link to that tweet in show notes and that article because I know a lot of people get bothered by this. I highly recommend you try it. It's pretty amazing. That's a great tip. You know, I, I use the Shortcuts app a lot, but I mostly use it with my HomePod because I have it using... So, like, for example, I have a Roomba, and uh, it doesn't integrate with HomeKit, but I can create a shortcut that uses if this then that to trigger my, my vacuum. But you don't get a notification when you do it with the HomePod, so that's nice. Right, but I do have HomeBridge running, and I can connect my Roomba via HomeBridge to HomeKit. 
So I actually see my Roomba in my home thing, and it has its own tile. Do you run uh, HomeBridge on a Mac or on a, a Raspberry Pi? I run it on a Mac Mini. Okay, so you just have it running all the time. Yeah, and it, it works really well on that Mac Mini. It's like a base model Mac Mini I got a while ago to run a Plex server, and I installed HomeBridge on it, and HomeBridge works amazingly on it. I know with some Raspberry Pis and the Hoobs PC, there's kind of like varying, like, eh, it worked, kind of doesn't, but I found it on Mac Mini works. Yeah, I used to run HomeBridge on a Raspberry Pi, and it crashed too much, and that was why I went with shortcuts, Siri shortcuts, and, and if this and that <laughs> yeah. um, for my needs. So. And if this and that is great. I mean, it has worked consistently. I've used that for different things, too. But uh, HomeBridge on a Mac Mini, I recommend. Well, listeners, let us know. Did you get an M1 iMac or iPad Pro? Did you get up that new Apple TV? Or did you get some AirTags in the mail? And have you tried those yet? We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at myself or Neil. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can also email me there. Don't forget, you can support the show and get an ad-free version of every episode at patreon.com slash Apple Insider. That link is in the show notes as well, if the show note links are actually working in your podcast app. I hope they are. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider that comes out every Monday where we talk about HomeKit and smart home devices and Apple Insider Daily. Get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.